are listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Well, this evening we pick up in Titus yet again. Come to Titus chapter 1. In verse 3 is what our sermon will be on this evening. As you're turning there, page 998 in the Pew Bible, if you're using one of those, we're reminded that this is a letter of Paul, the Apostle Paul, to a fellow minister of the gospel. He left Titus in on the island of Crete to minister there while Paul had to continue on in his journeying and his ministry. And he's now writing back to Titus to encourage him to be faithful. Faithful in ministry against the pressures of the world and culture around them. And so we will, this evening, be looking at Titus 1 verse 3, but we will read verses 1 through 3 as we set the context. So hear now God's word from Titus chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle, of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth with the, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Well, we're still in the first section of this book. We're still at, we're coming now to the end of this opening greeting, the salutation, where Paul's introducing himself to Titus and this church, the churches all in Crete. Not that he didn't know them, but he's laying a foundation for the rest of this book, laying a foundation of what he is called to do in his ministry, what his aims of his ministry are, and what the source of his ministry is. We've seen so far in verses one and two that Paul's ministry is in service to God. He calls himself a servant of God as he's been called by Christ as an apostle ultimately to build up the faith of God's people. That's the whole goal he has here in his whole ministry is to build up the faith of God's people. Whether they are now unbelievers and he hopes to draw them to Christ or whether they are now believers and he wants to build them up in maturity. That is Paul's goal, to grow God's people in faith. It's a faith grounded in knowledge of the truth of Christ and a faith that leads to godly living. And this faith rests firm in this confident expectation of eternal life, or as Paul used the word hope, the hope of eternal life. God promised this future that we have even before creation, before the foundation of the world. And God cannot lie and his eternal purpose ought to be trusted. And tonight we see that Paul helps us see this importance of our heavenly hope as he moves from the grounding in eternity towards seeing this eternal life revealed and proclaimed today. So he's moving from back when God promised it to how do we understand eternal life today? How does God grow our faith today and set our sights on eternal life now? Well, I think we'll see that our hope flourishes as we deepen our trust in Christ through faithful listening to faithful preaching. 
our hope flourishes as we deepen our trust in Christ through faithful listening to faithful preaching. And we'll look at two points this evening. First, eternal life manifested. And second, eternal life preached. So let's first look at eternal life manifested. And this comes from the beginning of our our verse. At the proper time, eternal life was manifested. Eternal life was manifested. This idea of being made known, eternal life was made known. Something is now being revealed that was previously hidden. And if we look at the subject of that verb, it is God. God is the one who is acting. God is the revealer. God manifests eternal life. This shows us that God comes to us, that you and I, we do not come to God. It is God who descends, as it were, to us, who comes down into our world by the eternal Son. Salvation is God assuming true humanity that he would then redeem it. That God paid the penalty for our sin. Salvation is something that God does in the same way that eternal life is something that God reveals and shows us. God is the one who acts to accomplish and to apply salvation. We do not achieve it. It's not something we do. It's not something we accomplish. God is the actor, period. So this salvation that leads to eternal life is only known by us when God makes it known. We cannot make our way to heaven. God makes it known to us. This is God manifesting. A gracious God showing. A gracious God revealing. Well, how does God make it known? How is it manifested? Paul says, in his word. The proper time, eternal life was manifested in God's word. Now, the older commentators often talk about how this refers to Jesus Christ, the word. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Speaking of Jesus Christ. And later the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this is perfectly wonderful theologically. This is exactly right theologically. But I think biblical scholars today are more accurate when they say this isn't first and foremost a reference to the Word being Jesus Christ. So what is the Word? His Word. What is, how is eternal life manifested in his word? Well, I don't either think this is a reference to scripture itself, the inscripturated written word. We usually think of God's word. Well, we'd say it's our Bible. I don't think it's that for a couple of reasons. One being the New Testament was not a document like we have it now today at the time of Paul's writing. In fact, Paul's writing became God's word. It was God's word when Paul wrote it, but we didn't have the collection of New Testament documents at that time. So I don't think he's speaking of the manifestation of of eternal life through the written word of God. So what's he speaking of here then? I think it's more in line with these words of Jesus in John chapter five, where Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Or, In John 6, where many disciples are walking away from Jesus because Jesus is saying some hard things. Many disciples walk away. And so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So I think Peter is referencing, or excuse me, Paul is referencing that same words of eternal life that Peter spoke of in the Gospel of John. Or that Jesus spoke of, he says, believe in me, hear my word, believe in the one who sent me, and you will have eternal life. He's speaking of the word of Christ. Christ who came to preach, all who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. The word of Jesus Christ. This is the word. This is the word of eternal life the word of good news, the word that God has come down to us, the word that Jesus has accomplished salvation. Jesus says, I lay down my life for my sheep. That is the word. The word that his spirit is living in his people and renovating them from the inside out. The word that you will never be abandoned because you have been adopted by the king. This is the word that has now been revealed to all mankind because Christ has come. This is the word that depends upon Jesus Christ, the word that speaks of Jesus Christ, and the word that is grounded in his actions and in his preaching. The word here, ultimately, as Paul says, his word, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's speaking of here. The word of Jesus Christ, the gospel Now eternal life is manifested in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have seen him, the word incarnate, come to us to give us eternal life. I think stopping here, as we see how eternal life has been manifested, we can and we must rejoice. God has given us the word of life. We have heard the gospel. We can't get that anywhere else in the world except through God's now inscripturated word. We have the words of life. They're accessible to us anytime, any day, any place. Thanks to Christ giving his word now to his apostles, such as Paul, who have written them down and preserved by the Holy Spirit and given to us today. We have treasure here. Do we treasure God's word? Do we treasure the gospel Do we come back to this day by day? Do we realize we forget and we turn from the gospel every single day? We try to turn this from God coming down to us to me saying, oh, how can I now come to God? How can I earn it? And sometimes can't we even turn our own repentance into I'm now earning something with God? Or maybe we realize our sin and we turn from it. We say, I hate my sin. I don't ever want to do that again. And God, I'll do better next time. And so therefore now I'm worthy enough of your salvation. Can we play these little games with God in our head? Instead of trusting in him, this gospel, his word, that eternal life is secure because you belong to him in Christ. It's so easy to come to to God's word now and, and see it as if it's not the words of life. Sometimes, yes, it's difficult. Sometimes it's confusing. Sometimes we have to work to understand what God's word is saying. But these are the words of life. Apply it to ourselves with diligent study and searching and daily meditation. Yes, set aside time daily. I know it's difficult, but daily to meditate upon how God is good, upon his gospel, upon his word, to soak yourself in the word of eternal life. 
We need not God's word just to know Christ initially, and then we're done. We can put it aside. We need God's word every day. We need the gospel to grow in faith, to persevere in trials, and to grow in the hope of eternal life. Eternal life is manifested in the gospel, in God's word. We need it, and we cling to it. So eternal life manifested. And then Paul turns to explain eternal life preached. Eternal life preached. And Paul tells us the primary way that this word is made known. He says, through the preaching with which I have been entrusted. Now there's, I think, a meaning in this initial context and then a broader meaning as it applies to all Christians. In this initial context, when Paul wrote this, think of Think of what it was like in the first century. There was no document we, they could go to as the New Testament. There was no gospel of Matthew they could turn to. There's no book of Revelation. Many of these things hadn't yet been written or they were in, in, in circulation just in local areas. God's word had not been fully compiled into what it is now. And so the meaning in this initial context for the first century of Christian or first generation of Christians was this, the importance of the apostolic preaching when there was, was, a, when there was not a full collection of scripture. The apostles' preaching was so important for carrying on Christ's preaching, for explaining now what the importance of what Christ said and what Christ did is now for you and me today. So apart from God's word, the apostles and the prophets, they were the ones explaining to that first generation of Christians what is true. And so Paul is continuing to proclaim the gospel of Christ. This apostolic teaching, this apostolic preaching was the hallmark of what is true, what is good. And they passed along the faith in these early generations. So in that initial context, he's speaking here of a time when there's no Bible that they can turn to of New Testament writings. And so the apostolic preaching was essential But now there's a broader meaning as that apostolic teaching has been inscripturated, as we now have, as God has so wonderfully given us the New Testament and the Old as well. The apostolic preaching has been preserved in the New Testament for us. And we see beyond that, though, that God is still using preaching today. Think Paul here, and it's corroborated by elsewhere in his writings. But Paul here assumes the centrality of preaching for the Christian life, not just in the first century before there was a Bible, but even today. Now, in assuming the centrality of preaching for the Christian life, Paul's not demeaning the gospel's power as we confront it in our private readings, in Bible studies, in casual conversations, in Sunday schools, in community groups. But what he's saying here is reflected well, I think, in Westminster Shorter Catechism. You've probably heard this. Question 89. The question is, how is the word made effectual to salvation? And the answer is this. The Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of salvation. It's the reading, yes, but especially the preaching is an effectual means God uses of convincing and converting sinners of building us up in faith and holiness and comfort through faith to salvation. So I think Paul is reflecting what the Westminster Assembly later understood, that preaching is central for the Christian life. So I think for all of us, we need to pay heed to to preaching. 
We need to not give preaching short shrift or just the time where now I can turn it off a little bit because I'm not interacting in the service. I want to mention for us this evening four ways to grow as faithful listeners to preaching. First one is this, to be patient with the preacher. To be patient with the preacher. And Pastor Wright says, listening is harder than preaching, and I would absolutely agree. It's hard to listen to someone who may not have the personality that you enjoy, who isn't as skilled as the preachers that you hear on Ligonier, who have idiosyncrasies that drive you crazy. I agree with Martin Lloyd-Jones, who said he would not go across the street to hear himself preach. I don't know why you all are here, but I praise God for it. And so the first exhortation is to be patient with our shortcomings. I'll say my shortcomings and my failures and my idiosyncrasies and my oddities. Be patient with the preacher to hear the word. Listen to the word. And that's the second point. Keep the big picture in mind. Keep the point of this all in mind. What's the point of preaching? Why are we doing this? Why do we think it's important Sunday morning and Sunday evening to listen to preaching? As Paul says, to bring, to help us grow in the hope of eternal life and to be strengthened in faith by being pointed to Christ. You come not to be entertained. There's so many things in the world that are far more entertaining than this. We come not for pure academic interest. We don't come just to learn something new. We come, yes, to deepen knowledge, but also to deepen our experience of our union with Christ, growing in joy and in perseverance and hope of eternal life, seeing how even this past week, all that I went through, God's word has something to say about it. The concerns that I bring into the sanctuary this evening, God's word has something to comfort me about my trials, my temptation. God's word comes to me in this moment. Keep the big picture in mind. Why am I here? Sometimes we might lose the forest for the trees, but step back and say, God is allowing this preaching so that I would be built up in Christ. And so three, we come expectantly. Come expectantly. Because even in the worst of sermons, there's something for you to glean. Even in the worst of sermons, there's something for you. Even if the sermon is a bomb, there's something else, at least in the rest of the service, that you can glean. A prayer, a reading of scripture, something for you. But we come knowing that the Holy Spirit is ready to work on us. God is at work in this place right now and come ready for it. Don't keep it at arm's length, but let God's word do work on your heart. Listen and apply it to your life. Be ready to fall at the feet of our Savior. Be ready to encounter God himself through the word of the gospel. And even with children. Yes, I know. I'm there with you in the pews with the children. Even with the children. Listen for even one nugget you can grab a hold of and take with you and meditate upon. One thing. So come expectantly. And then fourth, as we grow in being faithful listeners, make sure the preacher is being faithful. We are fallible. We say things that are not perfectly right. And I'm not saying come with a critical spirit, 
but come ready to assess all we say with all of Scripture. And if you think we're off course, maybe check your notes with an elder or a trusted friend, and then come and help us understand what you see. We want to listen. We want to be made aware of errors. So make sure we're being faithful as you are being faithful and listening. So preaching is important for the Christian life. We are to come and hear this is a strange medium of God speaking to his people, is it not? Especially in a world that we live in today. But it is God's appointed way of speaking to his people, of reminding them what is true in his word, applying it to our lives. Preaching is not simply the thoughts of a man standing up in front of you. As Paul goes on to say as he concludes this section, preaching is authoritative. Preaching when it is consistent with Scripture is authoritative. Paul says, The preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. God commands Paul to be faithful in preaching. I've entrusted you my word. Be faithful in preaching it. Preaching is not a tool that a man takes up at will. There's a divine calling. Yes, for a man like Paul, it was a unique calling. He he fell on the road to Damascus when Jesus Christ personally appeared to him. I can't say that happened to me. But there is an ordinary way that God calls preachers today. And we'll get a hint of that in the next couple weeks as we look at the office of elder here in Titus. But there's an internal desire that a preacher wants, that the preacher desires to preach, but there's also, and importantly, the external approbation of God's people. God's people recognize a man is gifted, he is called, he is qualified, and through that action of recognizing that, that is the Holy Spirit calling the man and recognizing God has entrusted him with this great task. God has entrusted that man with the important task. And so now when a man has been entrusted with that task, he must not neglect it. He cannot neglect it. He must be faithful to it, to preserve it and use it for its appointed purposes. Preacher must proclaim Christ for God has called him to it. God has entrusted to him his word. I love how Calvin notes though, as we come towards a conclusion here the sweetness of Paul's language. He doesn't just refer to God, right? He could say, I've been entrusted to this by the command of God. But what does he say? God, our Savior. God, our Savior. The first thing to note here is he says our, right? Paul has just said here several times, speaking of his authority as an apostle, he says, I'm an apostle. God's commanded me, entrusted me with the word to preach to you. Listen to me, is what he's saying. He says, what? God's our Savior. I'm no super Christian. I'm a Christian who has a particular call to proclaim the gospel. God is the Savior of all of us. The preacher is not elevated above the rest of God's people. He proclaims our Savior. There is one Savior, one people of God, one status as sons of the living God that we all share in. So there's this radical equality for all of God's people as we stand at the foot of the cross together because we all look to the one Savior. How sweet it is to end on this note of this incredible grace of God at the end of this introduction. To bring us back to the one 
who brings us from death unto life, the one who saved us from death and condemnation and eternal judgment in hell to eternal life in his presence. This is our Savior, the one who saves us from every trial and difficulty, the one who saves us and perseveres us and preserves us until Christ's return. I love how he ends on this note, this greeting of the book. This is who I am. This is what I want to proclaim, but this is the God I know, God, my Savior. God, our Savior, is the word of the, what the word of the gospel says. And this is what is proclaimed by God's ministers. Oh, that all of our preaching would faithfully testify to God, our Savior. Oh, that our hearing would desire this, would crave this, would be rooted in God, our Savior. Oh, that God, our Savior, would give us great hope in this life to live in such a way that accords with godliness. May we receive God's word from the apostles with meekness. As God is so graciously reminding us once again of his all-sufficient grace, who's grounding us, Paul is, is he's grounded us in faith, growing us in faith by the Holy Spirit, pointing us towards eternal life that we are all waiting for. We look to God, our Savior, today and every day. And we ask that he would use even the preaching of his word to deepen our grasp of Christ as we grow together in the grace of God, our Savior. Let's look to him in prayer. Oh, gracious God, our Savior, that you would, before time began, choose us to be your people. Not for anything that we have done, not for anything that we will do, but because of your grace. It is astounding. You have promised eternal life for us, for all those who call upon Jesus Christ. And we now, O oh Lord, are thankful that you remind us of this over and over and over. For we need these reminders in this life. So strengthen us, ready us for every battle in this life, for every trial that we will undergo. We pray, Father, we will set our eyes upon Jesus Christ and this hope of eternal life that you have so beautifully laid out for us. Oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. In his precious name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.